Good morning. That's a great response. So then, is it because I've trained, because I've said it, and then ask you to say it again so many times? It's, uh, it's paid off. <laughs> so this Sunday and next, we are looking at All In, um, which is a way that language that you used to describe membership, as Naomi talked about. And it's a helpful way to describe it because it talks to the fact that being a member of a church is, isn't something we do half-heartedly. We want to do it all in, <laughs> which is why we use that word, all in. To say, this is my place, these are my people, and I want to commit my life to journeying with these people and to learn more about who Jesus is together in community. So we started this conversation last month at the Communities Fair. Today we're looking at what it means to serve as part of church family, and next week we'll be looking at the commitment itself of, of saying yes. But before we get into practicalities of how we can serve, I want to look a little bit at the why. Why give your time? Why serve in church family? We live in a time in history where people have less and less margins for that, right? We're, we're busier and busier, we're, and, and where I think it's even more important for us to be able to answer that question, why should we give time to this? And with that in mind, this, my intention with this isn't to try and just guilt trip you into doing more stuff. I really hope that's not what you receive from this. Because if you are, feel like you fit in the category of being overly busy right now, then saying, now add this extra commitment on top of that every week, probably is not really the best, the best approach, it's not going to last very long. Instead, my, my hope is this morning is a bit of a provocation for us to consider what are the things that we're saying yes to. And when we say yes to be part of church family, the reality is that means sometimes we have to say no to some other things, things that might distract us or take our attention or time away from being part of the family of God. And so it might be this is the start of a journey over a few weeks or months of us saying, right, I want to do something about this. I want to be able to free up some time to be part of this a bit more. I want to give some of my time to this. And so I'm going to take some time to figure out what things I should be laying down and what God's calling me to pick up with him. So with all of that in mind, we're going to look at a passage together. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 from verses 12 through 27. I think it should have come up on the screen as well. So just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
So there's lots that we could say about this passage, and I don't have time today to go into an in-depth exegesis of every verse of what we've just read. But there are two questions I think it poses to us, which I wanted us to consider. The first is, what does commitment mean to us? And the second is, what is my part to play? That's the two questions I think that we, we see posed through some of this. What is, does commitment mean to us, and what is my part to play? So what does commitment mean to us? So there's this well-known but rarely talked about cycle in the life of a city centre church, and it's called the plastic Easter egg cycle. Okay, so stay with me. It's, it's not really very well-known. I just made it up. But I want to stay with me. So if you, if you know a child or you remember as a child if the experience of getting an Easter egg, if you were here last Sunday, you might see where I'm going with some of this. And you get, the experience, you get this Easter egg, and you think, finally, I've got this Easter egg, and I'm so excited about getting to eat whatever is inside of this Easter egg. And your mouth starts to salivate as you think about the sweet, sweet chocolate that's inside. And then you start to, to feel this Easter egg, and you're like, well, it's a bit harder than I was expecting. Maybe it's plastic. That's not a good sign. You start to pick away the tape, thinking, well, maybe there might be some chocolate inside. Whatever's inside must surely be good. You keep picking away, and eventually you manage to get it open, and you discover a piece of paper that you're supposed to stick on some cardboard. <laughs> Severe disappointment sets in. <laughs> Obviously, that was a good game last week. I enjoyed the game last week. My point is, as we engage with church, we can do it a bit like and this, that kind of plastic Easter egg. We can look for a church and we land at one and we think, oh, this looks like a good church. This looks really impressive. The worship pastor likes talking about gardening. I'm, I'm in. Let's, I'm going I'm to come here. And then we dip our toes in and we think, we should, well, what people talk about often is communities. So I need, maybe I need to get myself one of those. We're tell, hearing great stories about what communities are up to. Maybe I should join one. And that gets, that's exciting to start off with because it's new and you get to know new people. And there's, yeah, the newness of it kind of carries you for a little while. But also, it's not as glamorous maybe as you initially thought it would be. You start to hit some plastic. And you stick out for a while, picking away at the sellotape. But you start to get a sense, maybe the chocolate isn't coming. Maybe what I expected it to be is maybe not going to be fully lived up to reality. Why? Well, people are sometimes a bit awkward. Sometimes they're a bit tired. There's a lot of goods that's going on. There's a real sense of presence of God sometimes. But also, it can sometimes feel quite ordinary. It's also messy. Some people in this community have some stuff going on. And in other words, you start to discover that they're a bit like you. <laughs> And we kind of hope that communities will be with people that are a bit better than we are. Do you know, they don't have that stuff going on. That will, But the reality is that, that that's the case. That we're all in this together. And maybe disappointment starts to set in a little bit as we think maybe this chocolate I was expecting is never going to come. And the temptation at that point in this well-documented Easter egg cycle is that we to begin that cycle again, we maybe think, well, maybe I'll hit the good stuff if I join another community. Or maybe if I join this church down the road, I'll get the whole nut dairy milk. And that's what I'm really looking for. Obviously, I've gone as far as I can with this analogy because church isn't a plastic Easter egg full of disappointment. Of course, there's a lot more. And actually, there's a next step, which is a crucial next step in that journey that I was just describing. If you heard me preaching last month, I quoted a bit of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a German theologian, talking about community. And just to summarize some of what he says around this, he says that in the journey in the life of a church community, often we need to go through periods of kind of disillusionment as we realize that the ideals that we had are not reflective of the people around us and in front of us. But if we commit to that journey through that, we begin to see church as it really is and the way that Jesus intends it to be. We put away the ideals which are not reality and begin to follow him, follow Jesus together. 
And so 1 Corinthians 12, I think, us, offers us a much better analogy, a picture for how a church should look and what it looks like for us to play our part. Paul writes that church is a body, and not just any old body, it is the body of Jesus. He says in verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So that means that all of us who believe in Jesus are part of this conversation. No matter our background, our experiences, our history, following Jesus means we get to become a part of this thing we call church, one body. But when we really consider that in the language that Paul's using, it's quite a significant claim because a body is quite a high commitment thing to say that you're part of, isn't it? A heart can't suddenly take a vacation from the body. That would have significant implications for both the heart and the body. And much in the same way, when we say yes to following Jesus, we say yes to be identified with everyone else who follows Jesus. And actually, I think that is an amazing gift. Jesus doesn't want us to try and do this on our own. It's only together with others, as we learn who we really are, that we learn what it looks like to follow Jesus together. So what point am I trying to make through that? Well, I think we cannot escape the reality that being a follower of Jesus means that we are part of the family of God. And actually, Paul, I think, is predicting an argument someone might make in response when he says in verse 15 that even if the foot suddenly declares, I'm not part of this body, it still is attached to the leg. It's effectively what he's saying. It still is a part of this body. And so this it speaks to something foundational about following Jesus. All of us who follow Jesus are part of his body. And so we as a church called Central are an expression of that as the body of Jesus. Which I think means that we have two options. One option is that we can try and deny that that is the case. Or the other option is that we can embrace the gift of this commitment of this church family. And I think those are the two options, particularly for us, because denial in our time, in our age, is more and more an easy option for us. And actually, when you look and reflect back on COVID, and some, I think one of the worst things that came from COVID's lockdowns was the idea that church is something that we could engage with from our sofa. <laughs> like, you know, with the power of the remote at your fingertips, you could choose whether to turn it on or not. You could choose the volume level based on your preference. If you didn't like something someone was saying, you could just turn off the TV. And, or you could switch to something else if you thought it was a little bit boring that Sunday. Do you know? It gave the illusion that church was kind of this opt-in extra to our faith with Jesus. And that's not a new thing. I'm sure that's been something the church has wrestled with throughout the history of the church. And even in our experience as a staff team at Central, we know that for the length of time I've been around Central, we're used to a high turnover of people every couple of years. And often that is for very natural reasons. People come to a city like Edinburgh for specific lengths of time, a job contract or be it for work or uni. But the danger is, because of that, that we can begin to treat church community like an addendum, like an add-on package that we have as an extra to our personal faith. And it's true of church because it's true of, of how we as humans often engage with any human community. There's a theologian called Lewis Smead, and he says this quite brutal thing. He said it, not me, so just saying it in advance. When people no longer have the inner daring to make serious promises or the grit to keep them, human community becomes a combat zone of competing self-maximizers. Thanks for that, Lewis. 
obviously that's a bit of a caricature. We're not all hugely selfish all of the time. <laughs> but it suggests that it was something that I think touched on something that can be true at times, that we engage with church family so long as it benefits us, so long as it fits in our personal ideals or our desired goals. And our commitment ends at the point where that isn't realized, where expectations aren't met. So and my suggestion is that it's actually denying something which is true and foundational to being a follower of Jesus, which is you're already part of this. So what might it look like for us to then embrace the gift of church family, to embrace the gift of commitment? Now, what I'm not arguing here and now is that all of us right here today have to decide that we're never going to leave Central or Edinburgh for the rest of our lives. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting at all. But I do want to suggest that committing to church family is the most natural expression of following Jesus. In fact, I, I'm not entirely sure you can have one without the other for very long. It is messy. It sometimes does disappoint our ideals. And if you've not been disappointed, you probably just haven't been here long enough to be disappointed by something. But sticking at it through the challenges as well as through the moments of excitement and joy is what forms us together as followers of Jesus. It helps us understand God's grace. I think how to understand his patience as we work through that together how we begin to understand the way that God works through us and his slow, steady faithfulness to people who are sporadically faithful in response. Now, having said all of that, the, the reality also is that when we commit to church community, that there's a risk associated. Sometimes we can experience real and deep hurt. And I wanted to name that to say that if that's been your experience, then I'm also not trying to pressure you into getting right into the middle of something if that's something you're still processing. But my encouragement to you, if that is your experience, is to not stop journeying that. Don't stay on the edges forever. And we'd love to journey with you if you'd be up for doing that with us. So all that being said, how do we embrace this commitment? Well, the reason we encourage everyone to commit to one community and to one team, are these are because these are two really concrete ways of beginning to shape our lives around our, follow, our commitment to follow Jesus together. Community is the place that we want you to learn how to do life together with others as followers of Jesus, following him and making him known. And it's a place where anonymity, which can even be our experience in a big gathering like this, it gives way to being known and knowing others. And serving is an opportunity to discover the ways that God calls us to be church and also the ways he's gifted us for the benefit of others, the way that Ross was describing earlier. As we get involved, we get to know what God has called us to so I want to just spend a little bit of time talking to that now. What is my part to play? Verse 17 says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So God has placed us together at different parts in this body. And every one of us are exactly where we're supposed to be, where he's called us to be, which means every one of us has a part to play. So as we're a bigger church, the reality is that we could actually kind of get away with thinking that's not the case. We could look around and say, no, actually, I think everything's covered. It seems like everything's fairly well put together. But as we've been hearing already, the reality is actually the opposite. <laughs> I mean, we need you. We need all, every person in this room to be thinking about this. And there are so many unseen but vital places of serving and opportunities to, to, to do this in the life of a church family. And actually, verse 22 and 23 sets such a good context for that as well. 
where Paul talks about how we honor those places which are unseen and give great, greater modesty to those places that require it. And it's really important that he says that because humanly speaking, we do the opposite to that. We naturally elevate, literally, <laughs> the, th- the, the positions, the gifting that, that is more upfront, that's more visible. We give natural accolade and praise to those kinds of more visible gifts. But Paul calls us to do the opposite, to give praise and, and, and attention to and honor to those gifts of service which are unseen. And in fact, I don't think Paul's saying this in isolation. I'm sure as he's writing this to the, the Corinthian church, he's also has in mind the Gospels and the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples. Because over and over again, Jesus sets this as the model for being community together. He says, serve one another. When they ask him, who's the greatest among you? He says the, in response, the one who serves. And I wanted to... So I want to give a little bit of a shout out as an example of this. And I wouldn't normally do this because it's a dangerous thing to highlight one person when the reality is even as I look around this room, there are so many people who serve in so many ways that lots of people in this room won't know about. But I, wondered, I wanted to show you that we, I wonder how often we think about how our seats have ended up where they are that we're sitting on when we come in on a Sunday morning. We probably don't think about that very often. We probably just come and sit down in our usual seat. But we have a very faithful and quite small team of people who come every, every Sunday morning and set up all the chairs for us. There's just four of them, and they take turns. And, and Frisco is doing it this morning. And I wanted to give her a particular shout-out. It's one of our students who comes in sometimes as early as 8 a.m. with a smile on her face and sets up almost all of the chairs on her own. It's amazing, and it's worthy of us praising that as much as I'm sure she's hating it right now. I usually need at least two coffees before I get a smile from me. But every one of us has a part to play, right? Every one of us has a part to play. And every one of us is called to serve. So what might it look like for all of us to serve in that kind, to desire to serve in that kind of way, in the ways that are unseen, in the ways that don't benefit us even immediately? What might that look like? And that leads me to the last point I want to make, which is our gifts that we have are primarily for the benefit of others. Our gifts were given to us primarily for the benefit of others. So let me just read out a section of the passage that came just before our reading today. It's from verse 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the gifts that we have were not primarily given to us for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us. I wonder if we live as though that is true. With all of the ways that we can identify our strengths and our personality profiles in this day and age, whether it be strength finders or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, the danger can be that we take something like what we're just hearing here and make it entirely personal, just for us. That's not always the intention of those profiling things, but that's what we can do with it. We can say, well, you know, I know what I am. I know what my strengths are for myself. And then we use that to kind of further our careers, right? But this passage could not be more clear that whatever strengths we have, they're first a gift. And second, not a gift for ourselves that we might boast, but a gift for the benefit of others, for the common good. And so that begs the question, if the only thing that we're doing with the things we know we're good at is for ourselves, to make money, to further a career, to get good grades, you know? Maybe that's kind of missing the point. <laughs> of course, there's lots of nuance there, and lots of us will do work which is both and. 
But my, my hope is that I might provoke us to consider this a little bit more this morning, to really explore what is it that we're giving our time and energies to as people following Jesus. What are we gifted in, and are we using that to serve and bless others? So to land us, I wonder, what does it look like for us to embrace this commitment church family together this morning? What might God be prompting us to lay down? What might he be calling us to pick up as we seek to serve one another in the family of God and love the people of the city? We're going to have a chance to do something practical and to find out a bit more, but I don't think it's helpful to rush straight into that because that could be our natural response to say, well, I can do something. I can just sign up to this thing. I think it's much better for us to have a bit of space to invite God to lead us around some of this, to invite it to prompt us to consider what it, that might be for us, whether it is that we need to take some time to lay something down. And that's not an immediate thing. It'll take a while to do that. Or maybe it is, actually, I feel prompted to do something that, um, to give my time, to give something that I'm gifted or skilled at towards others. So we're going to take a moment to do that just now, to invite God to be prompting and leading us. And I wonder if you want to stand with me, if you're able, and the band's going to come back up and lead us in a moment. The prayer team will be available just now as well, and they would love to pray with you and stand beside you if there's anything that I've been sharing that you feel like you'd like to, to pray for, or if God's be prompting anything else. But why don't we just take a moment to invite God to speak to us? Maybe even ask him that question, God, is there anything that you're asking me to lay down? Is there anything you're asking me to pick up? Let's just do that for a moment. God, we thank you for the gift of church community. That the people around us today, the people in our communities, we get to call them family because we follow you and they do too. That you gift us to one another. I ask for a fresh reminder of that this morning. That as we take time later to walk around, to have conversation, to hear about what people are doing and the ways that they're at work, God, that we be reminded that we are one church family together. And what unites us is you. What unites us is you, Jesus. The work you've done for us. That we are saved people because of you. And God, thank you for the ways that you call us to play our part. And that is such an amazing invitation that we don't just get to stand in the sidelines and watch as spectators, but you call us to get involved. That you gift us with a variety of gifts, each unique an expression of you. God, I ask that you'd be reminding us of the places that you've gifted us. And show us the ways that we are already using those, those gifts to serve others. That this wouldn't just be a morning where we feel 
shame or guilt over what we're not doing, but be reminded of the things that you've called us to already be doing. And that God asks that you would know your affirmation in those places. But also we ask for, that you would have open, you'd have free will in our lives to do whatever you want to lead us as you wish. Would we be surrendered to you? Would our lives be open to you? Would you show us if there's anywhere that we need to redirect our energies or attention or commitment? Would you show if there's any places that you're calling us to serve? We want to be obedient to you this morning. See, we ask for that leading. Let's say in Jesus' name, amen.